Hello and welcome to Leviathan News. Today is May 26th and we have two very special guests. We have uh, Sharam Kinan from Eigenlayer and then we also have uh, Byron Gilman uh, as well too who's going to be talking mid-journey for AI a little bit later. But first we're going to be starting with Sharam. Uh, big news of the week is that uh, Vitalik put out a post and uh, I, I know he doesn't usually name drop but he did name drop Eigenlayer in this instance uh, in the sense of what does Eigenlayer mean as a potential uh, addition to Ethereum consensus security? And does it actually make sense for uh, consensus to expand beyond its core focus? So, uh, Shram, welcome. Hey, uh, hi, Sam. Right. Uh, thank you so much for having me here. Yeah. I, so I, I think the core premise that... that Vitalik was making inside the paper was that once you start to add on additional financial incentives or other incentives on top of the core consensus layer, uh, it potentially opens up the ability for uh, malicious actors to come in and uh, start causing issues, right? Whether with Oracle services or with other things, like just things start to get a little bit, a little bit weird, right? <laughs> so is that actually the case? Uh, do you think that we should keep the the core functionality of the consensus layer clean, and and how would we mitigate some of these uh, potential malicious acts that that were talked about in this paper? Yeah. Um, firstly, let's start with the title. The title of the article was "Do uh, Not Overburden Ethereum Consensus," and uh, I think the title was somewhat misleading title really should have been to not overburden Ethereum social consensus. That's really what the article was all about. Um, if you look at what are the core roles of Ethereum's uh, algorithmic consensus, it is to keep two properties. One is safety. Safety is if you get a transaction confirmed, it should not get unconfirmed, right? Mm -hmm. That's safety. So, you know, if I think I got Rex's money uh, and I sell him a car, Suddenly, it should not be that I don't now have Rex's ETH. So I've now like, lost my car for nothing. So that's safety, right? Uh, and the Ethereum protocol is designed very carefully to make sure that if there is a safety attack by the consensus participants, they can be slashed. They can lose their ETH. So because the core consensus protocol participants put on a bunch of ETH and they participate in block making. If you make two blocks which conflict with each other, then you could basically lose your ETH. So this is already built in to the Ethereum consensus protocol. The other feature that you really want is transactions which pay enough fee get in to the ledger. Like, you know, it should never be the case that I have a bunch of ETH, but and I want to send it to uh, Sam, say, and but I can't do it because I keep sending the transaction and the person making the blog keeps saying, you know, Sriram, go to hell, we, no service for you, right? Like that's not an allowed property in the system. So this is safety. The second one is called liveness. This property that I just said is called liveness. So how, do, how does Ethereum preserve liveness? Um, if all the participants in the consensus collude together and then say, you know, I'm not including a certain transaction or fork out that transaction whenever it shows up, that would be an attack on the system. Uh, unfortunately, it's not possible to algorithmically determine this to be an attack. Why? Because how does the Ethereum blockchain know what transactions came out from the real world? 
It's not possible. It's not an internal locus. You need an external locus, the society, the people to look at it and say, oh, all these guys are banding together to like forbid Rex and Shriram from acting. So yeah. wait, sorry, just to pause you on this right now, I, I think um, just because it's such a complex and nuanced topic, I think like a good example of what you're saying um, is like around the DAO hack, right? Because from Ethereum's perspective, what's the hack? You know, it was totally fine. Like the guy did the code and like it, he, we don't need to get into it, but basically like almost took control of the ETH, but it was us outside of Ethereum that recognized that as like a existential problem and a threat and, and identified it as a hack. And then we were able to move forward. And so I, Suram, I think that's what you're saying is that like, if we're not careful throwing around these terms, like it, a lot of these like structures and concepts start to lose their meaning. And um, that I, maybe is the confusion of Vitalik's post. <laughs> yeah, Technically um, that's all hacks. Ethereum is just state management. So any breach and transfer of funds against the social expectation that means nothing to the Ethereum network. The state of coins transferring to someone to someone from someone to someone else, that's fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I think the way I phrase it is social consensus. So, you know, I, I think Rex's point is about the DAO hack and Noah saying, hey, you know, if there is the uh, if there's an attack or not, that's at the application layer and the consensus protocol should be kind of unaware of it. But really, uh, the social consensus is being reserved for the one kind of attack, which is done at the consensus layer, which is liveness. And liveness is censorship, right? Like everybody band together and censor a group of transactions persistently, because this is a property of the consensus layer. If Ethereum consensus layer does not hold this property, then it is no good. So the consensus layer slashing in this case, subjective social slashing is reserved for two kinds of things. One is the safety violations, which is if you uh, transactions get deconfirmed or unfinalized. And the other one is liveness failures, which is that transactions do not get included because of collusion and other attacks. But I think what Vitalik is trying to do is basically to exclude things like the DAO hack as possibilities or reasons for forking Ethereum. I think it's a perfectly reasonable principle. Basically, when you're building complex systems, you need to draw the layer boundary. What is the layer that Ethereum's operating in and what is the layer that everybody else needs to be operating in? Mm -hmm. The consensus layer is operating under the assumption that we deliver safety and liveness, which is no double spends, no, um, no reverse of, reversing of finality. And every transaction gets included. That's the guarantee. Like if that something happens, you can go to Ethereum and complain in the court of public opinion that, hey, you know, I've been trying to send my million dollars to somebody and it's not going in. Somebody's doing something, whatever. So then we can bring the... So the way I think about it is like establishing road rules for like what the Ethereum consensus and what the Ethereum social consensus is reserved for. Yeah. It's reserved for basically the core protocol concerns. It's not reserved for, we don't want a hundred of these DAO hacks to happen in the next five years. And then we go and fork the protocol again and again. Yeah. It's trying so, to say like what the, the social consensus is for and what it is not. 
Yeah. So, it, so I, I, would you say that the the primary risk then is this non compartmentalization of whatever social layer we can put on top of Ethereum consensus? So let's say we have, I, I understand that we have like Chainlink right now, which is like one Oracle, but that's a little bit separate. It has its own uh, security budget. Uh, but if we're tying the entire security budget to like a, a singular service that provides services for all of the individual dApps on Ethereum, it, it, it almost provides or almost creates too much risk inside of one uh, service entity, right? And so is it more I, about- I, I think that is, I, I don't think that's what he's saying. No? I, no, I think what he's saying is, if anything happens at that layer, go deal with it at that layer. Don't come to Ethereum and try to fork Ethereum. Yeah. That is the conclusion. The conclusion is not that you are uh, you don't build the next Uniswap or don't build a hundred hundred billion dollar stablecoin, right? Like if you have a hundred billion dollar stablecoin, you will exert a lot of pressure on Ethereum. Like, but that is not what the post is saying because if you concede that. There's nothing remaining to be built here. Right? <laughs> Why bother? Yeah. I, and I don't think that's what Vitalik's conceding. No. It's pretty much I, saying that. Yeah. I Sriram, we did like a really good job of laying out like the first principles of what Vitalik is saying, because I think that if you don't really think through what he's saying and you don't really think through what Eigenlayer is, which has made why you are the focal point of this conversation, it it's easy to think like what he's basically saying is, hey, if you build these systems, it's going to cause proof of stake to be unstable. And then we're going to have to do all these social forks. And like, that's wrong. That is not what Vitalik's saying. What Vitalik's saying per Sriram is like, there is this sacred set of um, things that we will allow social consensus to roll back. And that is a hack, like a hack in the dictionary definition of the term. Right. But everything else, even if a, they... a, a hack at the consensus layer, yeah, yeah, not right. a, a right. or like something wrong happens in get, which is yeah, the core exactly. execution, yeah. but not at like you write a bad application, you write a bad layer two, you write a bad restaking protocol. Yeah. Don't. So one way of saying it is, you know, to use one of our favorite analogy here from the crypto space is. It's like saying, um, you know, the, the government coming and saying, hey, banks, go do whatever thing you want, but don't blow up and then come and ask for a bailout. Mm -hmm. That's all that he's saying. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to uh, have, a, have a protocol running, which then like puts, assumes, it, it assumes that you're going to get bailout because, you know, you're too big to fail, too big to fail. You know, we know this word. So you're too big to fail. Now you assume that Ethereum has to kind of fork around you because, you know, you're so important. Just saying, no, please. Just, <laughs> this is the core, core concern of the protocol. The protocol exists with this risk structure, like this assumption around the social consensus. Like Rex said, it's sacred. It's reserved. It's modular. It's doing the thing it's supposed to be doing. It is protecting the core yeah. functionality of Ethereum. Anything else, you do excess risk-taking, you do something else, you do whatever like functions in your application layer, in your layer two, in your restaking protocol. It's internal. It is internalized into the structure of the protocol. And this is something we've spent a lot of time in Eigenlayer actually kind of figuring out 
how to resolve all disputes and concerns inside the protocol layer in in eigenlayer protocol layer rather than assuming that oh you know it even if we get all the validator set of ethereum is still not going to be there if you made some bad decisions in your protocol you're going to get bailed out by ethereum yeah uh, right. this is this is the assumption that like most of the validators are restaking there's a, a bad restaking app and they all get slashed and it creates this systemic large systemic risk or large systemic event across all the validators uh, which would have to be then addressed. Well, I think, I mean, I think it's, it's, it, really... it, it is a risk the validators are taking. So if you, the validators take, so here's the thing, right? Like we're establishing the shelling point that, you know, you understand the risk. You don't go like do degen stuff and then come and expect that because you're a validator, you're going to get paid out. No, you know, you understand what you're opting into, you understand and do those things as, you know, it's not the concern of the Ethereum social layer mm -hmm. to come and bail out a value to connect this risk. Yeah, I think what, like the reciprocal of what you're saying, and let's stop picking on eigenlayer for a second, because <laughs> it's just hard for people to wrap their head around something that hasn't launched yet, but like Uniswap, right? Like, let's say that Uniswap had a bug and every single pool got drained. Well, every single non-ETH based pool, that's a special case, right? Like, and so every stable coin is in some hacker's wallet. I think, Sridharam, correct me if I'm wrong, what you are saying Vitalik is saying is that while that is catastrophic for the industry and for what we're doing, like the iron law of Ethereum is like, we should not roll back consensus or undo this at all because like this, like Ethereum does not roll back. Like that is our like line in the sand. Yeah, he was like, I, exactly. I think that is that's my read of the situation. Yeah. So in the in, think, the, uh, in the article, he provides like L one L one driven recovery of L two projects, right? So if we have the growth of these like Arbitrum or Optimism and become a significant size, the, we should not allow them to pose a systemic risk to the base layer. Yeah, I, I think this is true. I, I, the, the, you know, it's true for layer two, the true truth for restaking or something, but it's also true just for simple dApps built on Ethereum. Just because you got a lot of like TVL or whatever in your dApp, it doesn't mean that, you know, because users are opting into each of these dApps per their own like understanding and, and willingness. And if we said, oh, you know, if there's a lot of ETH in a dApp, therefore like Ethereum has to fork for that particular dApp, Essentially, this is just going to encourage excessive risk taking. Like people will be like, okay, you know, there's a lot of ETH, so that's enough. Like now, you don't need to do your own risk assessment. The base layer, the innovation that changed everything, is one word: determinism. And the rules that govern determinism must be immutable, or changed by social consensus. Uh, but the rules being deterministic, if, uh, extract the notion of subjectivity. And that changes everything for technology and politics throughout all history. Never before have we had a deterministic financial system without the capacity for intervention. Now, on top of that, great. You could change things. You could have L2s and layers that interact with the base deterministic system and that's innovative well i i think that's 
probably a, a good place to wrap up on. But now I have a question. Actually, we're going to roll into uh, we're rolling to Byron here as well, too. So, uh, Byron, I, I want to take a question that you posed in your uh, one of your most recent uh, newsletters. And uh, we can actually ask it to Shiram uh, to get his opinion. And uh, that would be, who is AI going to put out of business first? Smart contract writers or smart contract coders or newsletter writers? <laughs> <laughs> Twitter posters. It's me, guys. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> I think smart contract uh, writers are one of the hardest segments to touch because unlike other kinds of programming, safety is an is not algorithmically verifiable. So my uh, my simple heuristic for where like AI would do really well is when when you have a output from the AI, you should be able to very quickly assess that it is correct, correctness or fitness oracles. The, the idea that like when you have an output from the AI, I'm able to evaluate how good it is very easily. If you have that, then you can basically optimize the heck out of it. And be, then, you know, so among the set of all the programmers, I think the smart contract developers are going to be the hardest to replace because the smart contract developers are trying to um, to write safe code. But of course, you know, AI can be very valuable in assisting us. So Brian, like what did you, uh, what did you come across when you were doing your, your research on this subject? Yeah, there's not a lot to research on the subject. Uh, basically, <laughs> I just watched the YouTube uh, version of the presentation that Amin Gurupsir did at the recent Avalanche com um, conference, and I just thought it was super fascinating. Uh, and there's really no other information on the subject. Um, well, he was talking about, well, you, you essentially said that LMMs, which is like what we're using right now for ChatGPT, for BARD as well, too, they're just not what we think they are in sort of like AI for uh, what, what we want to use them for, like creating smart contracts, right? Uh, well, his, his idea and the thing that they're working on at Ava Labs is to uh, build a large language model um, blockchain, uh, which I think is a super fascinating idea. It's very theoretical at the moment, um, uh, but it touches on a, a couple of the themes that we've been talking about already. Uh, one is which one of which is determinism. Uh, you know, large language models are not deterministic; they're probabilistic, which is one reason why they will put newsletter writers out of jobs way faster than smart contract writers. Because you know, newsletters are very probabilistic; they can be anything, so it doesn't really matter. Um, but you know, smart contracts, it does matter. They have to be they have to be deterministic. Um, <clears throat> uh, I mean. Uh, here. He he says that he well he's planning on building a deterministic large language model. I don't understand how that works, and from the googling that I've done, that uh, that is more uh, uh, am, you know more ambition than it is fact at the moment. But uh, maybe it's possible. I don't know. Um, uh, but I think the the idea of a yeah, and then sort of the question that I asked about smart contract. Uh, coders versus newsletter writers. It wasn't that AI will write better code than uh, uh, human coders. The idea of the large language model um, blockchain is that there will be no code. So there, you know, there won't be any code to write. The smart mm -hmm. contracts will just be plain language. So, or another way to say it is that like 
anybody could be a smart contract coder because it would just be you know you would just write the words out uh, out in English, um, which I think is which is I think is just a really neat idea. You know, Sharon, when we did a our, our interview with Flywheel a while back, you said that like you would hope that restaking gets to the point where you could spin up a uh, like an alarm clock, right? That you could run, right? And the 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 cost of it would be super small, but maybe there's a a, a place where these um, LMMs or you know whatever sort of future models that we're able to build are able to to like generate that code and and implement it at least in these like low security situations uh, onto something like Eigenlayer. I mean, um, yeah. So I think uh, the issue with like plain English contracts is then like adjudication is done by whom and what, I think hitting on the point Byron mentioned on determinism, right? Like how do we get these to be deterministically adjudicated? Uh, and how do we enforce, like, let's say, you know, I make a verbal contract saying I'll do X. If I do X, then I'll, you know, Y should happen. If we cannot evaluate that predicate correctly, like if X happened or not, then, you know, how do we transfer funds of Y, you know, deterministically? So there's a bunch of questions there. Uh, but you know your your point on the um, on whether Eigenlayer can serve some of these things. We're already seeing uh, a bunch of AI inference engines kind of built on uh, coming up on Eigenlayer. This is something that's going to be very very interesting. This, this is a particular niche. The core idea is that you know right now if you go um, use let's say ChatGPT or something else, you know all of your history is completely tracked and, and you know, uh, with a single entity. What would be really cool is if uh, you already had open source models, then you can do inference on these open source models without sending all the data to the same entity and without having, um, um, you, you can get, you know, some notion of like session level privacy. You open a new session with a new node, you know, on the Ethereum network or, or you know, Basically, they're doing off-chain all of this stuff, right? But so that, that's something we're seeing. You know, the role of uh, expanding the Ethereum's validator set to now to additional off-chain services means you can suddenly start doing all kinds of very interesting things. Uh, just one last point on the AI and smart contract interface. I gave a talk at uh, this group called the Ethereum Engineering Group last week, and. Uh, is run by a person by name Peter Robinson, who used to be at uh, Consensus and now at uh, Immutable. So next week, Peter is giving a talk on how to use AI to find smart contract bugs. So any of you interested can go check it out. Yeah, I mean, I think that like, um, I, I Sriram's going to laugh at me as like the actual person who's a developer, but like I can remember like 10 plus years ago when I was in school and like, the conversation back then was how like the, you know, I remember learning about neural nets, which we like dressed up as LLMs and now raise billion dollars for, but like this whole trend of like no code tooling and like the ability for non-technical people to like create um, things is really just like a continuation of, of, of computer science, right? I mean, like we, we created code so that you didn't have to do soldering to, um, to you know do the electrical engineering and and i think that like it's it's pretty crazy to see all these things come together but um you know i think 
like the deeper you get in the technology, the more you realize like there's not like calling these things AI doesn't really even mean anything, you know? And I think that Sriram, like the literally every single time I talk to you, like the more I hear you, the way you talk about Ethereum, the more I realize like Ethereum is cool, but like really what we're doing here is building technology for decentralized computing. And like, I think um, everything like it, it's in the same way that like when you look at chat GBT, like everyone understands that you're not supposed to look at chat GPT and think that that's the future. You're supposed to see the potential. Like we all need to be looking at like Ethereum and trustlessness, not as like the end game, but as like, what does a world look like where you have these like different chat GPT nodes where you can create sessions like Sri Ram was talking about, or you have, you know, like sensors in the Arctic that are like tracking climate change or like, this is this the point of this is decentralized computing and again Sri Ram thank you like I think uh, it, it what, at least for me it's important to take a step back <laughs> yeah there was only one protocol over the years that that even uh, I think touched on uh, somewhat of a production it didn't reach scale but it was the blocknet that had uh, these uh, this way of uh, querying in a decentralized fashion vis-a-vis -vis the node network services and the services in turn were deployed across the nodes. So all the nodes had the services and uh, I found that quite fascinating. It didn't catch on, but I think that uh, changes everything. I, came up with this eigenlayer idea on his own. No, and now you're telling us that it just, <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's critical mass is everything, but that, that changes everything. It's it's wonderful to centralize compute. And what is compute? Compute is the spectrum of all the things we do with computers, just accesses, accessing it vis-a-vis -a, -vis a node that engages all the nodes, that engages all the, the, the deployed services across the nodes. It's massive. So how far away are we from something like that? Uh, what, what do you guys say? How far away is uh, no code uh, smart contracts? Yeah, but is, that, but, I don't, but is that even what you want, right? Like, I would think a bigger innovation would be for a, like someone who's already a developer to be able to use probabilistic models to like give them ideas of what the code could be, right? So they've integrated, they like GitHub has these integrations now where it like kind of like- Here's how- Here's how I think you should look at it. Like AI will augment all of us. Yeah. And like Sam, you're an audio producer, right? Like yeah. your tools make you like more professional and better at like the highest level. But like we also create these tools so that Sriram, who's never touched audio in his life, can also like get from zero to 60 super fast. And like that is exactly what I see in these kind of like AI augmented coding tools, which is like this will help my sister who's never touched code before, like get like building stuff on chain, but it'll also make um, like Andre Crone like even more of a monster, you know? Well, Andre, Andre Crone doesn't think that AI and crypto mix. Yeah, um, well, I mean, again, that's just not even like, a, that's nonsensical. It's computers. <laughs> uh, so Byron, I also saw that you were doing some reporting on um, the, the WorldCoin race, uh, which we talked about yesterday as well too. So like, are we all gonna be scanning our eyeballs pretty soon? Uh, I think we might be, uh, because, you know, there's just going to be a tsunami of, of fake news and bot generated, you know, I would assume that within like 
five years or something that like 99 and a half percent of all information on the internet is going to be created by a bot right and we're going to need some way or we're going to want some way to filter all that out and just be able to interact with humans right uh, so i don't know how you i don't really know what the alternative is it's going to have to be some kind of biometric identity right uh, and i think that's good for crypto uh you know the um, proof of humanity is is uh uh is i think a genuine use case for for crypto that will will get very important very soon i guess my only pushback against the eyeball thing would be that like but like what's it like can i just have my 24 words and you know keep them somewhere or is that or is, or is that just too like is that just too insecure no, no. I mean, the, the direct problem this is trying to solve is that you can have 24 words, but a bot can have 24 words. And how can Ethereum tell? And you can, also, you can also have a lot of 24 words and Sybil <laughs> attacks, right? It's, I think the idea is to have, you know, one ID for one person. Well, I guess you have to raise the cost of, you have to raise the cost then, right? If you want to make, if you want to uh, make a message, you just raise the cost until it becomes... Uh, uh, unprofitable for bots to do the same thing. I, I don't know. I mean, like, it... I think that's interesting. The cost and where's the expense? Ethereum mainnet. Uh, the, the, I'm very contrarian with regard to the race to the bottom of transaction fee costs, and I think they should be more expensive. But anyway, <laughs> well, the, the cost also is this. This is another issue with uh, with AI is that you know AI is going to flood the internet with information uh, and there is a cost to that like you know uh, google and whomever have to run their servers and things and they they pay those costs by serving us ads but there's no point serving ads to robots right um so we're gonna need like an alternative internet that only has actual people on it that have been biometrically confirmed mm -hmm. as humans uh and and that will still be economic uh but you know the an internet that is just flooded with bots is is not even going to be economic to run but is it i i get these like weird dystopian vibes when when people are talking about biometric kyc uh permissioned internet where like you're not even able to access certain spaces without scanning your eyeballs uh and and we know that we know that like from all of the snowden disclosures that our governments and these tech companies are building these surveillance systems to see everything that we do, right? And now we're just giving over our full identity to them. Uh, it, it just doesn't sit with me, right? I don't I mean, want to. I mean, World Worldcoin certainly intends to be privacy preserving. At least they say they do, unless they're lying to me. I, I, I kind of trust Sam Altman to not be lying to me. Um, so bear in mind, uh, it's it's not the biometric. The, the you could create. A retinal scan and it can be equivalent to a human retinal scan that's just a piece of data what's pertinent is the centralized authority that validates that data the trusted party i just think um, look at the end of the day like we're building technology to solve problems right and like one problem that this new technology has created is like it is a fucking shit show like have you, <laughs> let's pick Twitter. Have you been on it lately? Like, you know, it, it's like the amazing tools that we've created have also been like incredibly conducive to like tearing apart society. And I think that like Sam, I, I hear everything you're saying and like, there's 
definitely dystopian scary stuff that can happen but also like what are we supposed to do just like not <laughs> uh let's uh, let me present uh the case for why we should consider building tools for proof of humanity quite seriously whether volcoin is the solution or not i'm not gonna like i i don't know yeah uh, but here is the thing i think you know we think about one of the things that affects the crypto space a bit is sanctions right we think about sanctioning nation states and such and um but the much more important thing that's going to happen in let's say 5 or 10 years is how do we sanction certain ais why am i saying this ai um you know if when ai wants to be self replicating it is going to be very difficult for an ai to be self replicating in the real world with you know a physical body and all this but as already you know you can create a purely digital agent right which holds its own wallet right the 24 seed, seed words that it knows and it is it controls its resources it goes and buys compute at eigen layer or whatever other systems exist AWS. and AWS, right? Like, you know, I don't know if AWS will let you pay with crypto, but, you know, whoever is letting you pay with crypto, you basically hold your wallet, use that, go deploy instances of it, use it to generate more resources, go trade some shit coins, make, make some profit, do some LPing. Like, you know, now you are an autonomous agent. And this is very different. An autonomous agent who's able to earn their own way and then do some wrecks and havoc. is very different from a virus because a virus is there on unwilling hosts this autonomous agent is there on willing hosts right so it's so the this the the emergent consequence of this is we need to figure out how we would distinguish whether something is a, an ai versus something is a person you know all you know we we like to say bad things about the existing financial system which is partly true but one thing is it's existing financial systems do well is they're not going to let these ais open accounts they it is good and bad and the the bad part of it for crypto is now all these ais are going to be like crypto native residents and if they are we need a mechanism to say okay you know not that ai or not this agent how do we have that resolution if everybody is just a public key we need to know which is a human which is not a human we need to know to for example the ai sanction that i'm saying is basically it would be something like that we say hey you know that any money like that goes to that ai which is basically like using all these resources to go attack like you know our cyber grid or whatever other things you know we want to have mechanisms to distinguish have a sense of resolution it's not the same as we don't have to jump from that to say that everything has to be permission but several things we need at least when we need to enforce something we need to have that degree of freedom can we validate proof of humanity trustlessly that is a very that that's cuz obviously i i that would be the best you know kind of outcome but i think proof of humanity is not going to be evaluated trustlessly i think my my uh, one of my favorite philosophical principles intersubjectivity So we are going to evaluate humanity intersubjectively. I know you are a human because I can interact with you, and so it is an emergent consequence of all of us thinking you are human that you know you are admitted as human, right? 
And I think that's the same thing that needs to be replicated, not the trustless, um, not trustless systems, but intersubjective trust systems. It's deep, man. Yeah, I um, let's write a book. <laughs> Maybe we should just find ways which are uh, like uh, friendlier than uh, scanning our eyeballs and stuff like that. I don't know. I mean, whatever. It's a company with an idea trying like technology. I know for sure, but for me as a consumer, I don't really want to use apps that want to scan my eyeballs. You know, it's a I bit mean, too, uh, too much for me. Hmm? No, personally, no, but uh, I don't use Face ID. Do I don't use the... Uh, yeah, okay, fine, fair enough. But I don't use nothing, but for I'm sure the world is going there. About What's at least 3.5 billion people on this planet don't have any problems with their faces being scanned. <laughs> They'll do it in two seconds, and the whole status quo infrastructure is based on a centralized trusted party and the government will be trusted and they will use tools to validate validate against that data set uh, that is first on the list it's going to execute and then the question we were just asking about trustlessly doing it that's the innovation well i'm going to stick to my belief that high fees solve everything and that at some point the AI, just, the AI just will say, I don't want to pay these fees or like, where am I going to get all this? Eat? I'm going to die. <laughs> uh, so that's a good place to wrap it up on. Uh, Sharam, Byron, thank you so much for coming on today. This is really, really great discussion. We, you know, we pretty much covered everything. We want to talk about WorldCoin today. There was some also some CBD stuff, but we talked about the important stuff today and uh, we will be back on Monday? I believe it's Monday. That'll be yeah. either Monday or Tuesday. It's a holiday. We haven't, no, we discussed... haven't talked about it yet. Yeah, we haven't <laughs> talked about holiday? it yet. <laughs> yeah, it's Memorial it's holiday. Day. Uh, oh, yeah. It's Memorial Day. Yeah, right? American no. holiday. American holiday. <laughs> but I think I think Memorial is, worse, is our World War II celebration. I can't. I always forget if it's Veterans or Memorial. <laughs> I, I don't understand. Like, Memorial Day is a happy day? Start of the summer. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I mean, it's a happy right. day. Yeah, yeah. It's like the, Actually, summer. right now, it's also... Uh, right now, it's also a Jewish holiday. It's uh, the, the holiday of Shavuot, if you ever uh, ah, well. Today is a, is a holiday. Either way. But uh, happy holidays for you guys. Yeah, well, thanks well. for your Monday. Or, uh, and happy Friday, everyone. That's the real holiday. was definitely educating to hear Sriram and Byron and uh, you guys, of course. Yeah, thank you so Appreciate much for it. coming. And we'll be back on Monday. We're going to have the Connects team on uh, to give a product demo about their new chain abstraction. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. So we will see you then. And until the tide returns, this is Goodbye at the News. Goodbye.